Good evening. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on his day? And I'm uh, really privileged to be asked to come here tonight. And I really want to tell you, I told Cindy, there's so many people praying for me. I think they've heard me preach before. So I, I, I'm hoping that your prayers were heard. Today is uh, Cindy and I's 51st wedding anniversary. And so, you know, this morning she reminded me of that. So I went out and bought her the flowers. <laughs> and uh, what a blessing it is. I'm so glad to get to be here. Tonight, it's really difficult to preach here. I was talking to a good preacher friend of mine and we agreed that this is perhaps the most difficult place we have to preach. And we settled on the fact that that's because it's such a great responsibility to be uh, uh, representing the Lord Jesus Christ and his word before uh, this people in this church. And uh, like Brother Ted said, this is home to Cindy and I some uh, 46 or seven or eight years, something like that. I didn't figure it up lately. We walked the aisle and uh, the Lord changed our lives and we didn't even know they needed changing. <laughs> what a blessing. But preaching here is so different than when I'm in Brazil. I want to give you some of those reasons. Uh, we don't get to use the King James Version in Brazil, you know? It's English. Oh, yeah. We don't get to preach in English either. And uh, I'll tell you, even after 41 years, we still don't know how to speak Portuguese. We find that out the hard way, generally. I enjoy preaching and speaking Portuguese. Another one of the reasons is our Portuguese Bible was translated by Catholic scholars let me say at that time on a university, university at the time level, perhaps you've heard, especially in decades past, that the Catholic hierarchy did not want laypersons reading or understanding the Bible. By translating the Bible using a vocabulary way above their heads, above the heads of the common people, they really worked that out well. So it's difficult for them to understand. Another thing, making things even more difficult, is that many, many people in our society, the people we work with, have only an eighth grade or lower than eighth grade education. So perhaps you can see that preaching in the area of Brazil where we work involves a lot of teaching the meanings of the words that the Bible uses. But tonight, if you'd open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 19, I'd like to read in verse 12. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19 and verse 12. And we're going to read here through uh, verse 26. 19, 12 through 26. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, 
occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a messenger after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise unto him, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou hast, thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest thou not thy money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath 10 pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds. For I say unto thee, I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight. We pray that our hearts and minds might be open, dear Heavenly Father, just for these uh, minutes to receive thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. On May 26th, 2002, the I-40 bridge disaster was a bridge collapse that uh, occurred southeast of Weber's Falls, Oklahoma, that's just west of here, right here on I-40. At 7.45 a.m., freight barges being transported on the Arkansas River collided with a pier supporting the Interstate 40 road bridge crossing the river. The resulting failure of the supports caused a section of the bridge to collapse, allowing cars and trucks to plummet off the end of the bridge killing 14 people and injuring another 11. There were fishermen on the water participating in a bass fishing tournament who saw the disaster occurring and attempted to aid the victims and to try to stop the cars and trucks they witnessed driving toward the chasm left by the fallen bridge. One fisherman on the river shot a flare at a tractor trailer driver in an attempt to get him to stop. Other fishermen threw ropes and at individuals and vehicles that had driven off the end of the bridge to attempt to pull them from the water. Now think with me for a minute, if you would, on the feeling of urgency 
of those fishermen on that morning. That morning of May the 26th, 2002, as they watched cars and trucks barreling off the end of that bridge into eternity. Think with me on that as they were there. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the urgency of bringing people to Christ. Now, again, in our passage in Luke 19, I want to read verse 12, verses 12 and 13. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. A country or territory is occupied when it's under the control of the hostile army. Think about old war movies that you've seen perhaps when the streets would be full of soldiers and they're watching every move of every person. I discovered while I was preparing this message that the United States in the past has occupied Cuba, Puerto Rico, Panama, Nicaragua, and Haiti. When a chair is occupied, it isn't available for someone else to sit in it. When the little red sign on the bathroom of an airplane says occupied, well, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you occupy your time, or if something occupies you, or if you occupy yourself, your time or your mind, you're busy doing that thing or thinking about it. As a matter of fact, in our Portuguese Bible, this verse uses the word negociai. You can tell that means negotiate. Do business until I come. We use this verse, Luke 19, 13, on the sign in front of our church building. Let me tell you, that's given me some headaches. We painted that up there and immediately the enemies of Christ uh, uh, started to uh, say, you see here, they're here to pay people to be saved. Uh, they're dealing in uh, uh, souls and you can't believe the things we've heard over the years. But we didn't take it off because the Lord said to occupy till I come. One of the greatest problems that Christianity has today is that we are not occupying. The, the world is not under the control of the hostile to the world army of the Lord. I suppose in Sunday school here, they still sing, I'm in the Lord's army. We sing that in Brazil. That should be us. We are to be the hostile to the world army of the Lord. We are to be the aggressors. That's what hostile means, aggressive, aggressors. That should be us. We are to be confrontational. That should be us. We are to be the hostile to the world army of the Lord. We are to be confrontational because that's what hostile means. What I should say is that there should be more of us being hostile, more of us occupying. So what is the problem? What is the problem? 
Number one, maybe we get too comfortable. Let's let somebody else do it. Uh, let somebody else do that for a while. I've done my time. That's not my ministry. I hate hearing that. That's not my ministry. The Southwest Baptist Church is the church hosting and operating a Bible college, the Heartland Baptist Bible College. So we see many more soldiers in training, I would think, than maybe other churches do. But this occupation, this occupying is not the sole responsibility of Bible uh, college students studying for the ministry or of the preachers and pastors and ministers who have uh, gone out from there. It is not the sole responsibility of the pastor and assistant pastors and bus pastors and youth pastors of this or any other like faith churches. It's not only the responsibility of Sunday school teachers and bus workers and, and children's church workers. The reason that we really don't see a true occupation, occupation, the occupying of this city, of this state, and of the world itself is not occupied. The reason is that it's not under the control it's not under the control of the hostile to the world army of the Lord. It is that there aren't enough active duty soldiers. Number two, maybe it's because we've become lazy. That's an ugly word, isn't it? When COVID came along, I became lazy. You know, there was a time where we weren't supposed to open our church. And in the beginning, we wanted to be helpful and we wanted to do something to help this thing pass. And so we we participated in that closing. I'll tell you what, I. I'm just as carnal as you are. I like staying home, putting my feet up reading my Bible, things like that. And then that time was over. Actually, it never got over. We got tired of it. And we went back to church, Cindy and I, and many of the members. But many of the members of the Valley Baptist Church where we work in Brazil, they didn't, they got lazy too. Many still have not come back. And I hear this story across uh, and I read in newspapers with lots of churches in lots of places. They still don't want to come back to church, at least not faithfully. Even when they were supposed to stay home, when they weren't supposed to come to church, they'd go to the farm. Uh, that's doesn't have as much meaning for you as it does Cindy and I, because in 41 years of visitation, you can say, hey, I missed you Sunday. The first thing they say is, well, I wasn't there. <laughs> Duh. There's a little lady in this auditorium the other night. I asked her, I said, where are your parents? I won't say her name because I don't want her to be embarrassed. 
But she and her brother are both in Bible college here from Brazil. I said, where are your parents? And she said, they're not here. I said, you grew up in Brazil, didn't you? They say, I wasn't there. The next thing they say is, we went to the farm. And most of them don't have a farm. But they go to somebody's farm, they really do. They would go to the lake. They would go to grandma's house. You know, you're supposed to be staying home. And you sure can't go to church. Some even killed grandma doing that, going to grandma's house. They became accustomed to digital church. At least I think they did. Uh, we don't have a way when we do our digital messages to see how many is really watching it. That's pretty cool. All the three people. No, I'm kidding. Okay. They got used to live stream. Yes, they thought it was great to have church in their pajamas. Now, live stream is great for the people in the hospital. And live stream is great for people in retirement centers. Live stream is great for shut-ins that can't even go to the grocery store. Live stream is great for missionaries that far away getting to see. Now, I want you to all be spruced up because when they do those cameras like that, Tom and Cindy, when we're live streaming, your hour's a little different than ours. We say, oh, there's brother so-and-so and there's our daughter. We never get to see our grandkids. They don't have any cameras back in the nursery. Great grandkids, I'm sorry, great grandkids. Great grandkids. But live streaming is not assembly. Hebrews 10. Now, I, I want to tell you, I don't know the Greek, but I know the Portuguese. It's kind of, so this is my kind of uh, Portuguese translation of what Hebrews 10.25 tells us. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is by staying home and live streaming or live streaming while sitting in your folding chair at the lake or live streaming while you fill in the blank. I don't know what you was doing, but strongly encourage one another, the Bible says, to get back to assembling and go to church. And so much the more as you get back to life after the devil's COVID. Now that's kind of a Portuguese translation of that verse. Another reason. Maybe it's because we have forgotten that souls are still plunging off the end of that bridge into eternal hell fire. Cindy has a goose. I don't know if you've ever had a goose or geese. But you know, have you ever heard that a goose wakes up in a new world every day? Every day when we go out there, that goose has got its head under its wing and it raises up and says, oh! And that's goose fur. Where am I? 
Maybe we have forgotten that souls are still barreling off the end of the bridge into the abyss. Maybe we have forgotten that perhaps we're the only fishermen with a flair that can warn certain persons. I'm going to say that again. Maybe we have forgotten that perhaps you are the only fisherman with a flair that can warn certain persons. Sin is tearing and has torn Diego and Amanda's marriage apart. It's destroying their souls. Their two boys, four and five years old, are being destroyed because of that. Edson and Karina, their lives are being destroyed at this very hour. And the lives of their three little girls and Cindy and I are the only ones who can save them. Uh, yeah, I said save them because you see James wrote in chapter 5 and verse 20, he which converteth a sinner from the error of his wave, ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And what the deal is, is yes, they, they sought us. And we're doing our best to try to help them come to the Lord and have a healing in their lives. Not even their families care. So it's up to Cindy and I in their case. I don't know your case, but I'll guarantee you there are people that can only come to Christ if you step up as the Lord's soldier and are responsible to bring them to God. Someone close to you needs to be saved. Family. I bet if I ask for a raise of hands, uh, almost all families in this room tonight could say, almost all people in this room tonight could say, I have a family member that's not saved. And certainly you have friends uh, that's, uh, need to be saved. Once since I have been here this month, Cindy and I came for 30 days. It's way too short a time. We have to get up early every day and we ought to be on vacation to get everything done we need to do. But once since I was, I've been here, I was present to hear a mother taking opportunity to talk about bringing her daughter to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And she was in tears. She was talking to another family that had sons and daughters present. In tears, she made this testimony. It brought me to tears. And we have to have that kind of a burden for those who are without Christ. We have to have the kind of love. She talked about how precious her daughter is to her, how precious her soul is, and what a tragedy it would be to see one born of your own flesh go down into the pit. Maybe it's because of fear. Did you see verse 14? Verse 14 says, But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. I'm sure that in countries 
where there have been occupation of armies, I'm sure that the people who were many times prisoner in their own homes and not allowed to go about and live their lives as they, as they wanted to and as they needed to, I'm sure they hated their oppressors. And let me tell you something, the people whereafter have said, we don't want Christ in our lives. We will not be ruled by this man, by this Jesus. <coughs> but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. In this power, in this parable, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying to be vigilant, not give up, not quit with what he has left us here to do. Don't let up because he isn't physically present with us right now. Don't stop because you don't see Jesus walking around like he did among his disciples and encouraging them. While we're here, a young man named Davy, 15 years old. Davy's a pretty good kid. I don't know why I said that. But I left him there. He's watering Miss Cindy's okra. And he's gathering the eggs. He's supposed to be doing something else, isn't he? Things like that. And I'm getting calls. Oh, watering, the, watering our trees. We have a lot of new trees. I'm, I'm getting calls or messages. You know, you never get a call anymore. You get these messages. Brother Tom, did you fire Davi? I haven't seen him around. Have you fired Davy? I haven't seen him around. I get another message. Oh, I was walking by the chicken pen. They don't have nothing to eat. And so... I have a ministry. This is not strange to Davy to receive verses from me. Uh, we started some time back. We have a little group, mostly church members, that don't want to be bothered. And we, we pray for each other. And we put prayer requests. And, but I like to post verses. And I post certain verses to... Uh, individual accounts. So I posted this to da Davy this week. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. <laughs> Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. I should have left that out. <laughs> but if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord is not coming and I'm going to feed the chickens and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour when he's not aware of it. Sent him a message yesterday. I said, we're going to be home Thursday. I'm sorry, Friday. He said, already? <laughs> now I remember as a young person, and mom and dad would go out and they would leave me responsible. They'd say, here's what you want to do what you're gone, when you're gone. And there's that list, you know. And all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, they're going to be home in a little bit. And so it's Zoom to hurry up and do the stuff. So we hope our chickens are eating. 
Our Lord is coming back, you know. Occupy yourselves doing my business until I return. That's what he has told us. This country that we as hostile to the world, army of God, this country that we are supposed to be occupying is going down the tubes. But listen, don't get sidetracked. I saw the craziest news article this week and maybe you saw it too. I lifted out three, three lines here. They may be long lines. I've lifted out three lines. I picked them out through there because really it just blew me away. Bitter divisions over politics and the pandemic have led to increasing rates of job burnout among pastors. A study of Protestant pastors conducted in March suggested that unprecedented numbers are thinking about quitting the ministry. The poll showed that rates of burnout among pastors have risen with a staggering 42% of ministers wondering if they should abandon their vocation altogether. Well, that's the important word right there, vocation. This is not a vocation. This is not a vocation. It's a calling. How can we abandon a calling of the Lord? I'll have to admit, I'll be glad when a bunch of them abandon. Maybe we can get to more people that way. So don't get sidetracked. Yes, we live in a crazy, wicked world. God sends signs, messages, like climate change. And Jesus is saying, okay, you're going to learn something really good tonight. Jesus is saying with this climate change, pay attention. It's almost time for me to come. But instead of reading these signs and seeing these signs for what they are, stupid people are saying, we'll change the climate then. <laughs> it's a symptom, I call it a symptom of the Tower of Babel syndrome. Now here's what happened to Cindy and I when we were called and ready to go to Brazil. Our family said, friends said, Don't do that. Don't do that. You think that's strange? Think about young David when he was with Saul's army on the mountainside and he saw and heard the challenge and he was getting all excited about it and his brother came and said, calm down, boy. What are you doing up here anyway? Don't you know there's plenty to do in Oklahoma? Don't you know there's plenty of people to be saved in the U.S.? Don't you know there's plenty to do at home? David answered, is there not a cause? Moses' wife said, well, if you go, I'm not going with you. Hey, this stuff hasn't stopped. Now, when I say it hasn't stopped, I've heard people talking about young people not excited about their their uh, kids, I'll use that word, okay? I'm old enough to call them kids. They're kids in Bible college. 
married kids and the family is not happy about it. I was so excited when God touched my life and called me. I called my dad. I said, Dad, I'm going to be a preacher. He said, I never heard of a preacher that made any money. Well, he didn't know you, Brother Perkle. <laughs> David said, is there not a cause? It hasn't stopped. I, I want to tell you, it hasn't stopped even in our lives. Now, my mom and dad are gone and Cindy's mom and dad are gone. But our family hasn't stopped. Even some friends. Don't you know that it's time to retire? When are y'all coming back? Are you going to retire? <laughs> he said, what did he say? I ought to? No. Okay. Sure we are. Now I'm trying to be sarcastic here. I hope you can read this in there, okay? After all, there are no more souls of men and women flying off the bridge into eternity. After all, there are no more broken families that the enemy is using to weaken and derail churches. Isaiah, when God touched him, he said, how long am I supposed to do this? Isaiah 6, this is kind of the Portuguese, okay? Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And then I said, Lord, how long am I supposed to do this? And he answered, until there's nobody left. Until all your kids are saved. Until your mom and dad are saved. Until all your friends are saved. Until those in other countries are saved. That's kind of what it says in the Portuguese. And then there's fear. Let me deal a little bit with fear. Do you remember verse 14 said, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. I forgot to write this down, but let me tell you something wonderful that's happened since Cindy and I are here this time. We got up the first Saturday morning and one of our granddaughters said, would you go on visitation with us? And so... One Saturday, we went on visitation with one of our beautiful granddaughters. And the next Saturday, we went with the other beautiful granddaughter. Cindy's been riding a bus. Well, she did once, okay. I, I don't want to act like she's took over already, okay. But if she was on there very long, she'd be taken over. Because we love souls. <clears throat> There's the fear. You know, I've been, oh, the reason I was telling them about my granddaughters, I was telling them that when uh, I was preparing for the field here at Southwest, we were 
full-time preparers for the field. We were, we knocked a hundred doors a day apiece. And the way you do that is you count out a hundred tracks and you go from door to door. And when that hundred is gone, you can stop. And so on an ideal week, I won't tell you we did that all the time because sometimes we had to clean out the closet. Okay. But on an ideal week, that would be 500 doors. And our area was from Reno to wherever Oklahoma City goes that way. And from I-35 to however far Oklahoma City goes that way. Not entering into Yukon and Mustang and all that stuff. And we and the young men that were being trained with me and the staff members, they would go with us. We'd take a whole carload of people. It wasn't fun every time. Sometimes it was scary. I could possibly go to a house over here where a guy lived. I think he must have been a, uh, I won't say that word. There might be somebody here that way, okay? From a certain uh, uh, false religion. Man, he was violent. He had come out the door and chased us back to the sidewalk. It can be scary sometimes. And do you know what? When I went on bus visitation with my granddaughters, we got out at some houses that I thought, it's a good thing I come with them. Now, she was at a disadvantage because I'm old and I'm crippled, but I can run faster than her when I'm scared. <laughs> I remember Cindy and I's first time to go on visitation. You see, the preacher was preaching about everybody ought to be on visitation. I heard one. Everybody ought to do visitation. And so... Finally, we had to come. I think we got here late, but I'm used to doing that. Not really. And our Sunday school teacher, our adult Sunday school teacher, just gave us a visit to make. Like, we never made a visit before. What do we do? We're scared. And he gave it to us about six houses right down here on 56th Street. So we didn't have any excuse that we couldn't find it. <laughs> and we went up and knocked on the door. And he had sent us to visit a sweet lady, member of Southwest Baptist Church, that wasn't able to come. She didn't even say nothing ugly to us. And so you know what happened? We came back again. And again, we're still doing it. But that was the first time. I can't say that I've gotten over apprehension every time I go to a door. I can't say that I've ever got over that. But when that door opens, the spirit takes over. <laughs> when I don't know what to say, to say it anyway. Because the Lord shows you what to say. Another reason. Maybe you think it, it isn't worth it anymore. It's impossible 
You know, I've just talked to family member. I've just talked to friends. And, and there, I've just given up. I don't say anything anymore because they're not going to get saved. Jesus gives us a challenge. People are lost. Those fields out there aren't really wheat. They're people. And people groups. I hear that a lot. They're people groups. Jesus told Paul that day on the road to Damascus, open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And he did not say when to stop trying. And prevent them from flying off that bridge into the devil's eternity. We're all called. I know that. And I'm sure you know that if you've ever been to this church before. Matthew says, go ye therefore. He's talking to all of us. Mark says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts we read, but ye shall receive power after that that you get saved and the and go to the uttermost part of the earth. That's kind of the Portuguese version. And Jesus says that it's worth it. Jesus says that it's worth it. I want to read you John 4, 36. As I finish up here. And he that reapeth receiveth wages. We've all got a bank account in heaven. I praise the Lord that my bank account in heaven is not as empty as my bank account down here. And it's not filled with money. But with people who have come to Christ as Jesus has enabled Cindy and I in every way to go out to wherever he would have us to go and do whatever he would have us to do and talk to whoever he would have us talk to and see souls saved. And Jesus said, he that, that reapeth receiveth wages. And we're saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And gathereth fruit unto eternal life. That's that bank account I was telling you about. That both he that soweth and he that reaps may rejoice together. The sower and the reaper. What's not here, but it's in Philippians chapter four is the saved. Now, I want to tell you that everything we do to serve God is about him getting the glory. As a missionary, let me tell you, my testimony is that God has always taken care of all our needs and uh, very sufficiently, might I add. And every time I come back, there's certain ones there in Brazil that say, would you tell the pastor in the Southwest Baptist Church, thank you for sending us down here because I got saved. He's a preacher now when in souls too. And so that those that get saved are saying thank you. And then we come back here and we preach 
and all those ones who have furnished the seed that we sow on the foreign field, you sitting in the pew are saying, praise the Lord. Everything we do is about God getting the glory. Be careful, young people. Let me tell you, when you get to be a missionary, people are gonna start telling you how great you are. It's a bunch of bull. I shouldn't have said that. But it's not the truth. We're not great. Our Lord is great. Don't you pat yourself on the back because this is being done so that God can have the glory and say, look what Tom and Cindy did in Brazil. You do it too. So that God can say, look at what God's done in your lives because you support missions. Oh, wow. And we say glory to God. And then those people in all the fields across the world are saying glory to God. I heard the message and I got saved. There is an urgency of bringing people to Christ. I think I left out a whole bunch of stuff, but I guess it's time to quit. I was going to say, and because I didn't write it down, it'll be a lot shorter. I was going to say there are no exemptions. You know, that's not my ministry. Oh, well, you don't understand. I work in the Sunday school. You don't understand. I drive a bus. That's not for me. You don't understand. I sing. I'm in a choir. You don't understand. I'm old. Do you know how many old people would like for you to talk to them? You see, it's there for all of us. Have you gotten lazy? Are you afraid? What's the reason? Something is wrong because to occupy means there's more of us than there is of the enemy. It means we're in control. It means we're on every street and every city and every town and every state. We should be more numerous. And God's given us everything we need to do that. So tonight, I want to tell you, this is a good time to say, I'm ready to start. Or, I'm ready to start over. I'm ready to start again. Stand with me tonight. We're going to let the invitation start. And maybe the word of God has shown you something tonight that would cause you to say, I need to, I need to do my part. I'm not being an active duty soldier. Don't matter how old you are. It don't matter how much you know about the Bible. Some of the greatest soul winners that we know don't know where to find the verses. They just know how to say, God saved me and he wants to save you. They've seen lives changed. So maybe tonight you'd come and say, okay, I'm ready to have part in the occupation because that's what God would have us to do. Go ahead and 
Start our invitation, please. I don't know how that works here, but it works. Dear Lord God, tonight we ask that you would touch hearts and lives of all that are here tonight and that we might become active soldiers in Jesus' name.